Hello and welcome back to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. For months now, the world has been focused on a basket of global intersecting crises, including inflation, price rises, energy, conflicts, and the effects of climate change. To some extent, this has deflected attention from some critical longer-term issues, and one of these is human trafficking. Trafficking is, of course, closely associated with forced labour and modern slavery. The 30th of July is World Day Against Trafficking, so we thought this would be a good time to talk a little bit about the changing picture of human trafficking in the light of all these current crises. So, with me to do this, I'm very pleased to have Alex Nasri, who is ILO Technical Specialist on Forced Labour, and Leela Tolajian. Leela is a human rights activist and the founder of the International Coalition Against Modern Slavery. She's also working with the Campaign Against Modern Slavery, organised by ActionAid, which is a global federation working against poverty and injustice. Alex and Leela, welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Alex, let me start with you. Um, The last three or four years seem to have been riven by crises. We've had the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we have inflation. We appear to have migration on the increase. We seem to be having the consequences of climate change. You're the one of the ILO's experts on trafficking. Do you have any idea of how this has changed the picture and what the latest trends are? Thanks, Sophie. Yes. Um, in fact, um, at the ILO, um, we do what we call the global estimation. Um, those global estimations are focused on, on forced labor. It, it shows um, really, uh, unfortunately, a trend in terms of increase. Um, so the last global estimation we've been doing was in 2016, and we've done another one in 2021. We shows an increase of 2.7 million uh, in the number of people uh, in forced labor situations, which would mean, you know, uh, 3.5 per, uh, 3.5 per thousand people in the world that are in situation of forced labor, uh, showing that in fact the situation is not improving, um, and today. Uh, we still have a big problem at our hands uh, with a total number of 27.6 million people in situation of forced labor on any given day. And, uh, and it's really great to be talking about it today to discuss a bit more what we can do to really accelerate progress, which is absolutely needed when we look at those trends. That's all a bit depressing, those figures. Do, do we have any idea of who is affected, you know, geographically or in terms of, of the kind of people? Yes. So our global estimate shows that, uh, you know, no region of the world is, is spared from forced labor. Um, if you take um, the total number of people, Asia and the Pacific is host to um, the highest number of, of victims, 15.1 million. But then if you look at the prevalence of forced labor, uh, it's in the Arab states region where the prevalence is the higher. But all region is really is really affected. Um, men, women, uh, children, women and girls make up to around 11.5 million of the total uh, number of, of people in forced labor and, and more than 3.3 million children are in forced labor. So... Um, this is really a global problem, and I think one interesting trend that it also shows, um, compared perhaps to other issues that the that the ILO is dealing with, is that um, 
uh, really forced labor happen in countries uh, with high income, with middle income, with low income. It's really everywhere, uh, which shows that we need to have really a comprehensive approach and specific approaches also depending on the type and forms uh, of forced labor. Lila, let, let me bring you in here as well, because I think you've done some work on the um, the gender disparities in, in trafficking. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So trafficking fuels violence against women at a much higher level than it fuels violence against men, because we see women globally have less access to education and to job opportunities. And then this economic and physical insecurity places women and girls in desperate situations where they're more likely to have to pursue risky opportunities and be deceived by traffickers. And we can see this reflected in the data in 2022, for example, for every 10 victims detected globally, four were adult women and two were girls. We've seen that 99% of the victims of forced labor in the commercial sex industry are women and girls. They also make up 58% of the victims of forced labor in all other industries and constitute 84% of the victims of forced marriages. So we can see human trafficking is overwhelmingly affecting women, especially women who are migrants, who are living in poverty, who are living in the global south, who are affected by the climate crisis much more than people in other communities. Right. And what, what about other, other marginalized groups? Do we have any information about how they might be affected? Yes, absolutely. So migrants as a whole are much more vulnerable to being trafficked. We've seen that the International Office of Migration found that 70% of migrants traveling to Europe via North Africa have been trafficked or exploited in some way. And this is especially for migrants who are undocumented, who are fleeing violence, who don't have access to support systems and the privilege of taking regular migration routes. Right. Okay. So basically, as soon as you start migrating for reasons of poverty or or climate change or whatever, you automatically make yourself more vulnerable to to human trafficking. Would that be a fair assumption? Absolutely. And we've also seen that when there are not a lot of support systems to help migrants, a migrant can come to a country and they can make it to a country, but all of a sudden, because they're not documented, they're not allowed to work legally. So they are forced to work illegally to survive, to feed their families. And there, they're much more likely to be exploited by traffickers. And then they cannot go to law enforcement for help. For help, they can't seek resources because they are not documented. Right. So it's a kind of downward spiral. So, so let's, let's try and, and move this forward onto um, a, a more constructive note and talk a bit about prevention. What are some of the key things that, that can be done to prevent human trafficking and modern slavery? Alex, let me start with you on that one. Thank you, Sophie. Um, prevention is absolutely key. Uh, this is one of the big focus of uh, ILO's protocol against forced labor. And I would say the first thing is really to look at how are workers protected by the labor legislation. So really ensuring that all workers have their labor rights uh, guaranteed. Um, and, uh, you know, for some categories of workers uh, today, this is really not the case. When you look at sectors like domestic workers, like fishers, or others, um, still uh, today they have unequal labor rights. Uh, they are excluded from the coverage of the labor legislation. So the first basis is really for governments to ensure that all workers are well protected uh, in terms of their labor rights. Secondly, um, we are also looking at um, issues of uh, ensuring that workers are, are recruited fairly. And this goes uh, quite along. long um, 
the migration situations because we've seen that when workers do not go through a fair recruitment process, uh, they have much more chances to then fall into a situation of forced labor. So it's important to, to focus on ensuring fair recruitment of workers so that then they have much more chances to be in decent work, uh, including by ensuring that labor migration legislations are fair, that workers are not collected recruitment fees uh, for their recruitment so that they are not you know, in debt bondage afterwards having to reimburse uh, those debts uh, for a very, very long time that do not allow them to quit the job, uh, ensuring that workers go through the recruitment process with a clear contract, with clear terms of, and conditions of the contract, and that they are not deceived, because then it's, it can be also difficult to, to leave a situation where, you know, you have been sold dreams uh, at the recruitment stage, and then you discover that the situation at work is not the same. Um, another area of work is also to uh, focus on uh, due diligence. So um, we are at the ILO trying to support uh, the public sector and also the private sector is ensuring adequate due diligence and looking at, uh, you know, how forced labor can be prevented uh, and addressed. So that's that's also a, a very important focus. Uh, and maybe a last one. I mean, there are several, but it's it's really to try to also strengthen labor inspection systems so that forced labor um, can be detected, uh, trafficking in person can be detected, and then, um, you know, a possible victims should be referred to different systems. Um, another thing that we also look at at the ILO in terms of, you know, this prevention is that there are a lot of, of root causes of uh, forced labor and trafficking in persons that are linked to, for example, um, very low unionization rates in certain sectors, very informal sectors, where, for example, you know, workers do not have any contracts, do not know very well the terms and conditions of employment. So uh, there are also some links between uh, forced labor and some other uh, fundamental rights. Uh, and so one key aspect of work is to see how to address those root causes in supporting unionization, for example, campaigns of workers in very informal sectors by looking at uh, also migrants in those sectors. So that's a few, a few examples, Sophie. And it sounds like properly structured migration would be a, a major step forward, properly structured and properly organized migration systems so that, um, you know, people coming from one country and looking for work in another could do so in a, in, in a legitimate and transparent manner. That's absolutely key uh, to ensure safe migration processes, uh, which means that, you know, workers, migrant workers can migrate through regular channels uh, with less risk of exploitation in the process. So, for example, ensuring that, that migrant workers only go through licensed or registered private employment agencies, making sure that in all the countries of origin, they are not collected any recruitment fees and that the legislation uh, prohibit this. But I think at the same time, um, uh, we realize that sometimes uh, workers are still, you know, being exploded through regular channels. So the first priority is, of course, to to regularize and uh, and regulate, um, and then also look at uh, how to enforce adequately, so that when you have the proper regulation, this has an impact. 
Yeah. Now, now we talk a lot on this podcast about the impact of technology on on the world of work. Um, And I know one of the areas that it's impacted, obviously, is migration, because it involves the passage of information between one country and another. And I'm wondering whether there is also a role for technology now in combating trafficking in, in some way. Um, Leela, let, let me ask you about that. Do, do, you, do you see a role for, for new developments in technology in, in alleviating this problem? Yes, absolutely. So with technology, it's important to note that technology has both fueled human trafficking in some cases, but also provides a great resource to prevent it. For example, we've seen traffickers who have used technology to send out advertisements saying they have a job. If the person wants to come to a location or pay them some amount of money, there'll be a fair job with a good wage for them. And this is sent out to many, many people through the use of technology, through online messaging forums. And then if people come and take these jobs, oftentimes they're trapped in situations of debt bondage, they're trafficked, they're forced to work with no pay. So we've seen traffickers utilize technology to reach more victims, but technology also has a lot of great abilities to prevent and to reduce human trafficking. For example, many of the companies we use and buy from every single day have forced labor along their supply chains. They're sourcing from the labor of people who have been trafficked and forced to work with no pay. But with blockchain technology, if companies utilize this, they can better track their supply chains to ensure that no forced labor, no traffic labor is happening along the supply chains. So that's really, really important. And human and technology can also be used to raise awareness about human trafficking. Because again, a lot of people maybe don't understand that like, certain jobs or certain false advertisements can lead to being trafficked. A lot of people don't know the signs of human trafficking. So using technology to share about that, to share hotlines is also really important. Um, And it's also great to rehabilitate survivors, providing resources digitally, connecting with therapists, connecting with things like that. So technology has a lot of great uses for helping organizations who work to help rehabilitate survivors. Mm, Alex, would you agree with that? Yes, there's definitely great potential, but it needs to be really targeted, uh, I would say. So, for example, what we are also trying to do right now, the ILO, is to look at some of the sectors that are more at risk uh, of uh, of trafficking in persons. Uh, Fishing, for example, is one of them. Uh, We've been uh, trying to explore and map all the digital technologies that exist um, or that are in development to track forced labor on board fishing vessels worldwide to try to see then how this information could be helpful to some of our constituents like labor inspectors in you know targeting better inspection to detect forced labor so i think there's um, there's really a need to look at um, um, those different sectors and how technology can be applied. I think there's also a big need to bridge the divide between governments, law enforcement, social partners, and those digital tech actors, uh, because sometimes they don't speak the same language. And sometimes those technologies are developed completely out of the blue um, without really, uh, you know, workers and, and potential victims at the center. So we are really trying to um, you know, uh, bridge this gap uh, in everything we do. And we are seeing some really interesting technologies be, being developed. Uh, for example, also technologies that would uh, provide uh, access to complaints mechanism online, on your mobile phone, on the internet. 
uh, to victims that might be extremely isolated and that are used, for example, by trade unions worldwide. So yes, in initial, I would say very uh, interesting application, but uh, with the need to continue to, to look at this and see really how they can be helpful. Technology will not replace the people who do you know, prevention and support access to justice of victims, but it can help. Um, and actually, you raised um, a point there, which I was just going to come on to, which is that people often think of human trafficking and forced labour as a law enforcement issue and something that should be dealt with by the police or other law enforcement bodies. But from what you say, there is also a pretty important role for not just governments, but also workers and employers organisations in, in combating trafficking and forced labour. Is, is that right? Absolutely, Sophie. And yes, indeed, it is very important to uh, ensure that victims have access to justice and that, uh, you know, there is prosecution of traffickers. But there is also a bigger role and a stronger focus on how can we prevent this from happening in the first place. And here uh, on prevention, uh, governments, trade unions, employers, organizations, and their members have a huge role to play. Uh, governments, not only on, on law enforcement, uh, with strengthening labor inspection system to detect uh, trafficking in persons, but also to regulate well, to regulate uh, you know, safe migration, to regulate private employment agencies, to, to regulate, in fact, all the root causes that could enter into the picture, as I was mentioning in the beginning, ensure that by law, uh, you know, all workers are covered by the labor legislation. In terms of the, the role of trade unions, um, um, I mean, obviously, they have a big role to play and they have been playing a big role in sensitizing workers about the risks in migration situation, for example, also pre-departure risks, um, but also playing a role in addressing some of the root causes. So ensuring that workers are well represented, even in the informal sector, for example, is really key. And, and business on the other side is, is absolutely central to this, um, including by, you know, conducting due diligence of recruitment practices and looking at uh, also more broadly issues around uh, forced labor and trafficking in person uh, in their supply chains. Mm, and, and Leela, um, what about individuals? Because a lot of people get very, um, you know, f- feel very engaged with the issue of human trafficking and forced labour. But as individuals, they may feel that there's nothing that they can do. They have to leave it to the structures of society and government. Is there anything that individuals can do about this? Oh, absolutely. And like you said, looking at the issue as a whole, it's really so overwhelming with human trafficking being the fastest growing crime worldwide. It feels like there's nothing individual people can do, but in reality, there's a lot. One big thing is for everyone to be aware of the way traffic labor exists in global supply chains, to pay attention to which companies have been found to not verify their supply chains, to source what has been fished, farmed, produced by forced labor, and which companies are taking steps to ensure that all of where they source from has, there's ethical labor, people are being paid a fair wage, no one is being exploited. And by making people aware of this, by people switching to making more ethical purchases, we can put pressure on companies to improve laborers in their supply chains. And then that reduces the demand for traffic and for forced labor. 
and allows more people to be paid decent wages. It's also really important to get involved in local political organizing. You could see, are there resources for victims of human trafficking in your area? What are the support systems available? What are the support systems for migrants, for undocumented people? And really trying to strengthen the laws on a local level to protect vulnerable groups. That's also super, super important. Yeah, and I think as what you, you was said, we said earlier, that be aware that forced labour exists in every single country in the world. It is not simply a phenomenon of lower and middle income countries. Absolutely. And especially in the US, we've seen a lot of forced labour trafficking of migrants, especially in the agriculture sector and in construction sectors. So it's really, really something to be aware of because a lot of people just think, okay, this exists on another country, on another continent. It's not happening in my own country, my state, my backyard. Fully agree with Leila that um, I think people have, you know, in their mind, very traditional forms of, of exploitation uh, and don't realize that, in fact, people's may be victims of trafficking really across the corner. It affects really very different sectors. Um, and so it's important to really raise awareness about what constitutes uh, trafficking in person and, and really encourage also uh, people to have a better, better understanding of, of those more modern forms uh, that exist uh, around us. Yeah. Okay, well, look, we have to leave it there, but that's a great point to end it on. Um, Lila and Alex, thank you so much for your time. That's uh, Alex Nazari of the ILO and Lila Tolajian of the International Coalition Against Modern Slavery. And thank you to you, the audience, for listening to this ILO Future of Work podcast. Please join us again soon and goodbye for now.